Hello and welcome to DigFin Vox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, Jane DiBiazio. If you like the program, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know what to do. My guest today is Gurab Mukherjee, co-founder of Activo, a Singapore-based insurtech, helping its users try to improve their lifestyles and their health. We spoke about the demographic impact of increased longevity, but decreasing health what that means for the insurance industry and for society, and how technology might be able to help. Gaurav Mukherjee from Activo Labs, welcome to Ditch Finvox. Thanks, thanks, James. Happy to be here, and thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I wanted to get you in. I saw you give a presentation a little while ago thought it was really interesting, something that will be worth sharing with the DigFin audience. Um, you, Activo Labs, provides, I guess, sort of bio-tracking mobile device um, uh, telematics. I don't know if that's still the word that's used these days. Uh, and you, 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 you know, you want to sell that to the insurance industry. So I wanted to um, start, before we get into the nitty gritty there, uh, you know, why should people care? Uh, the, the big picture here, um, what's happening, particularly in Asia, uh, that that makes uh, what's happening with insure tech and and health tech uh, such such an interesting space to be. Right, I think it's just uh, not only about why should people care in Asia, why should people care globally itself. Right, um, the problem statement that we at Activable as we're trying to address the macro problem statement is of longevity it doesn't sound like a problem statement when you talk about it you know we are living longer that's a great thing but the challenge is that we are living longer but the, the extra years we live longer we live longer with the disease and that has all to do with the fact that over the last hundred years all the research and development dollars have really gone in terms of improving the quantity of life rather than the quality of life and as a result, you know, we live longer with the disease and that impacts the entire ecosystem. It's not just the quality of lives of the patients and their, that of their families that are impacted, but everyone gets impacted, right? Their employers are impacted. The pairs, we're talking about the insurance companies and the reinsurance companies are impacted. The providers are overburdened by this plague of chronic diseases in our society. And ultimately, we believe that the governments of the world would have to step in to maintain the health of their population such that they can maintain a functioning society. So the way to do it is to increase the health span of populations. That is a fairly new concept. A health span is, we know, lifespan, the longer you live. If you live till 80, your lifespan is 80. But if you live till 50 without a, a chronic disease, then your health span is 50. So we're all about increasing that health span, making that dent over there and bring some from this side onto this side and, you know, maintaining that. And that's the only way we can have sustainable aging. Yeah. How does that conversation work in different social uh, economic segments? When you, when I, when I look at a lot of uh, younger people, you know, uh, they exercise more, they're not drinking, um, uh, you know, laudable uh, activity, but these tend to be people that are wealthy educated, uh, urban. Um, do these habits extend beyond that? And particularly in emerging markets, that's gonna be a narrow part of the of the population. Do they, how, how deeply are these positive habits extending themselves? Yeah, um, unfortunately you're very, very true and spot on on identifying the demographics who are 
um, doing the right things or having that conversation. When I said it's cool to be healthy, um, I think that's that's a very um, vogue conversation, but ultimately it doesn't trickle down to the bottom of the pyramid itself. So we are looking at data sets across countries like India, Philippines, um, you know, the working class population. Um, we're working with insurers, we're working with, uh, you know, telehealth companies, um, super app companies, and we have folks who are working in call centers, uh, who are working in, although you're white collared or uh, jobs, but still uh, they're in, in the middle class or the upper going middle class. The data that's coming across is, is fairly scary in terms of the sedentary lifestyles that they lead, you know, the erratic uh, behavior they have on their sleep or the lack of it uh, for that matter. Um, and the way our models are, are creating, the propensity models that we are creating around uh, the probability of the, the at-risk population for various chronic conditions are fairly high. And that actually manifesting, you know, you're seeing folks uh, getting um, diabetes or even cardiac diseases at, at fairly early ages. And those kind of conversations, those kind of news uh, is fairly uh, common ground nowadays. But yeah, you're right. Yes. Absolutely. Have you found the COVID pandemic had any impact on this conversation or people's way they think about this issue? It's, yeah, health, the conversation around health in general of course, has become front, right and center. Uh, certain conversations obviously have taken uh, off itself, especially around mental health. That's now when you know, people do realize that's such an important aspect, uh, you know, because you see, um, you know, other uh, manifestations of diseases are fairly visual, mental health and trauma, uh, it's, no, it's not fairly visual, but given what people had gone through those COVID years, that conversation has become front, right, and center. Um, there's also conversations around staying healthy to having, uh, you know, better immunity. Those conversations also have uh, come uh, front, right, and center as well. So yes, I think overall and health in general is a conversation um, that's fairly in vogue and, and rightly so. So let's get then into ways that, you know, at least at Activo, that you're trying to like, you know, contribute your bit to this and, you know, turn it also into a commercial business. Um, you know, so you have mobile apps you create um, to help people try to change their habits. Uh, there's been a number of these. A lot of the insurance companies uh, sign on to different um, services like this. Um, do they work, though? Um, are we getting hard evidence that these are actually changing behavior at scale? Still early days. I think uh, our hypothesis was that if you look at a population, you first have to communicate um, what it means, right? Um, there's this, the, the proliferation of uh, wearables and, and IoT-enabled devices, your smartwatches, your fitness trackers. The end user is bombarded with data, right, from your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, your deep sleep, your REM sleep, calories burned. I mean, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, um, to, to that average Joe, to Jane Doe, a man on the street, you have to explain what's that meaning of that data. Um, we figured out very early on um, in our research when we started off that the best way to talk to a population about their risk, which is multifactorial in nature, is to do this through a composite scoring mechanism. One number, it tells James, you know, the score is high or low. And if it is low, why it is low, right? So the financial services industry, they do it quite well with their credit scoring, um, their FICO scores, you know, uh, they tell that, you know, your, your score is, is low because, you know, your mortgages are too high or you're not paying your bills on time. And if you do ABC uh, rectifications, 
you get XYZ benefits in return. And that's the way you talk to a population about risk, which is because of multiple factors, right? Through a composite scoring mechanism. So that was the first piece which we wanted to do that. How do you communicate what it means, right? Instead of giving you all these different data points, the question is, so what? Now what? So what? Right? Not everyone is a doctor or a sports scientist. So that's the first approach we took. And then how can you go about improving it? And what are the incentives around it? Right? So for you can do, because you don't wake up in the morning every day and you say that, you know, I'm going to think about how I'm going to live the healthiest 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. The human mind doesn't work that way. We do not it incentive. We are not incentivized to think long-term, right? So we are still that, you know, in the stone age, you're not thinking about just, 10 just, 15 let's years. Go hunt, let's go hunt the elephant. Yeah. Let's that's go hunt this elephant. You know, you yeah. see, you see anything that can deliver calories immediately to you. I'm gonna just just you know chomp it up because it might not be there. Uh three days, four days, five days, I might might go without food. So our 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 minds have not evolved uh to think long term that way. But health is always choosing long term over short term, and that's long term health, right? So from there, from a score, you explain to them what it means, and from there you have to drive those various incentives. That's where our uh, endeavor is to work with the financial services industry, because at the end of the day, you know, health is also, our access to health or good health is also an economics uh, challenge. So that's how we're trying to bring this all together. To your question, is it working so far so good, but we don't have like longitudinal data to show that at, you know, great population levels, but we have some very good partners who are committed to the cause of uh, going all the way with us and see the data. So, so far, so good. I would be able to share more uh, when you speak next. What is the degree of personalization that you can bring to this? Obviously, that's a hot topic in many parts of financial services and I guess any kind of digital business right now. And, uh, and I, let me go back to an anecdote to sort of broaden my, or like refine my question. Uh, I, I recently had my, my annual checkup with my uh, general practitioner and you know, he presented me with a bunch of scores and a bunch of numbers and, uh, you know, he explained what they, they meant. But I, I said, well, is that, is that good or bad? And cause I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. Um, and he's, he said, you know, for you, it's good because this is the range which you are and other people may not have that range, but it doesn't mean, I mean, you know, nothing out of, you know, the, the big, the big ranges, but, you know, within your, within your, you know, your biology and your history, this is kind of where you're at. Uh, so fine. Um, so the reason I'm relating this is, you know, you, you're creating this score for your person, but is that score reflecting the the score of the average and therefore may not really reflect that individual's personal uh, situation, you know, they're just the way they are, their genetics? Um, or uh, or are you able now to start to, to drill down and create something that really targets individuals so that they can start to really make a difference in, in whether it's diet or exercise or sleep or what have you? So I think to answer that question, you need to understand what level of personalization do you need, right? So here we're talking about population health. So exception will always be the rule. Outliers uh, would be there, right? Mm -hmm. If you just to elaborate on that, the approach that we took is we looked at what are the risk factors that lead to uh, early morbidity, right? So there is modifiable risk factors and there's non-modifiable risk factors, right? So the non-modifiable risk factors, 40% of that, or 40% of all your risk factors is your genetic endowment. 
you can't change that unless and until you know something like CRISPR becomes um, you know mainstream technology and affordable, right? Um, so forty percent, you can't do much on that. Thirty uh, percent is socioeconomic factors. The, mm -hmm. the you know the air you breathe in Mumbai versus the air you breathe in Vancouver versus the air you breathe in Jakarta has an impact on you know your early morbidity uh, itself. And most people can't really wake up one morning and say that you know what I'm not going to stop living in Jakarta, I'm going to live in Vancouver uh, for the rest of my life. So 70%, you really can't change. The 30% is modifiable risk factors, right? So number one or number two is smoking and substance abuse. Um, alcohol falls into that piece itself, something I was not very happy to hear the first time. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are not. Okay. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's, is, is that true? Is that true? And you know, and my, my co-founder, Professor, I said, yeah, absolutely, good. I know where you're getting at. Um, exercise, the best thing you can do to your body after you quit smoking. Then there's nutrition. The challenge with nutrition is that we know what is bad food. In terms of what is good food that leads to long life, uh, the science is still a bit noisy. There is some growing consensus among experts that Mediterranean diets or adequate consumption of fiber in your diet leads to improved health outcomes. Then you have sleep, which um, my co-founder used to call it like the weapon of uh, mass destruction because 100 years back, sleep, 100 years back, you know, the whole population used to go to sleep probably when the sun went down and came, woke up when the sun went up, right? Urbanization has changed all that. And electrification. Yes, absolutely. Sedentary time. Sedentary time is like, you've probably heard that, you know, the, the quote somewhere that sitting is the smoking of our generation, right? Our bodies were not meant to sit down for such prolonged durations because work 100 years or 150 years meant that, you know, you're on your feet, you're up and about, you're doing something to go and get make a living. And then there's, a, again, another growing uh, consensus among experts that there are correlations between mental well-being and early morbidity and mortality. So mm -hmm. when we look at Activos, that the score as a whole is tied to takes into this modifiable risk factors, right? And we created a composite score. It is contextualized to age and your sex at birth. And then once we understand what are the factors that are bringing your score down, we can impact that. Um, is that right now being used for diagnosis or prognosis of disease? It's, no, it's just, just for, for populations to understand what their risk factors are, how they can move about to going into good risk. Uh, there's still this, the 70% that we don't go, we don't go into the genes and the epigenetics and see, you know, what are your epigenetic triggers, don't do all that. You can go down that road, it just comes down that what is sustainable uh, and scalable in a population, man. Yeah. How are insurance companies or reinsurers using your apps? So primarily for the payers, for life and health insurance companies, we do three things for them. So number one is um, engagement and improving uh, the proximity with their uh, policyholders. So as an industry, traditionally, it's not been known to be great engagers, let's put it that way. There's no reason for a policyholder to talk to uh, their insurer other than you know, making a premium or going for a claim right you know being uh, processing a claim so both of these are not positive touch points so if you're a life and a health insurance companies you know you can use platforms like activo to actually improve the one thing that you're insuring their life and their health so that conversation becomes a positive uh, conversation itself the second thing is that the insurers are completely in the dark in terms of what is the moving risk on their books i am one good example i'll not take the name um, of my insurer but uh, when i came to singapore and uh, my, I started 
my relationship with my health insurance company in 2014. It's been nine years. All they know about me in nine years is that I have grown older by nine years. Mm -hmm. They do not know anything about me other than that in terms of like, you know, whether my BMI has moved, whether I've seen the inside of a gym, right? Where am I, right? It's just nine years, nine, nine years of premiums, touch wood, I've not made a single claim in nine years, but that's all they know. Um, so a lot of these companies who are engaging me in the digital realm, they know more about my risk that my insurer does. And that's where we come in uh, itself. So from the ActivoScore perspective, it's just engagement, creating differentiator in terms of the market, in terms of how you go about your customer experience. And the number three, which is the most important part, understand the moving risk uh, on, on your books. Once you understand that, can you come up with uh, you know, novel financial journeys that not only are using this platform as risk evaluation, but risk management as well, and then be able to deliver value to the lives of your customers. So that's the life on the health insurance, the insurer level. The reinsurers are interested to know more about uh, this kind of real-time data to claims experience for a longer duration of time. So of course, you know they want to come up with product differentiations as well. They want to own a larger pie of the treaties that they have with the direct carriers and how they can further upsell and cross-sell various other products to the existing customers itself. So how do you hold on to also the, the healthiest book in the market and retain it? That's also something that they look forward to. But ultimately, these are the folks who are creating incentives to that end user's life who's not thinking about health every day, but like because they lived, uh, you know, took some healthier options, right? they earned some financial benefits or some other rewards around their life itself. So they're looking forward to that. Yeah. Now you, you run a business, uh, you're, you're, you're here to make money and that's, that's fine. You know, it's your, that's your job. Uh, but is there, uh, beyond the, the need for you to have a commercial uh, life, uh, is there a concern that we are just going to exacerbate that have versus have not experience? Because obviously the insurers will want to incentivize the people that are, most healthy they want those healthy books they don't want to get a lot of people who are smokers uh you know chronic illness etc um uh, to what extent is this app going to just sort of create uh, an easier pathway to for, for the insurance industry to find those desirable customers and cut out or penalize the ones that uh, don't fit the bill or aren't or just simply aren't using these kinds of things Right, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. So this is a platform not only just to like, you know, drive self-selection, that would potentially, if you bring it even just something as simple as just capturing steps, you know, it could like, oh, just because your steps are high, it might just have self-selection right there. Um, think about it this way, right? Um, I'm say I'm, I'm a 40 year old man. Um, I'm already HbA1c levels is around 8.0 because I am genetically predisposed to having diabetes, right? And then suddenly because of my um, family history, my genetic history and the fact that you know, I'm 8.0, no insurer is willing to write uh, or underwrite me, right? And here, you know, we have now a platform like this. It says that, okay, Gaurav's actually very serious about maintaining his life. He understands his risk. He's maintaining an active score and every month he's self-declaring his past fasting plasma glucose. So now I'm going to give him a product. Albeit it, the premium might be high, but while he was not even getting a life insurance cover, he could do that and you know, keep his family safe. So it's not only just only about you know, attracting the healthiest book, but it also can open up a new market and, and bring them and include them into that insurance ecosystem. Erstwhile, 
this was again from a business perspective it works because suddenly an insurance will look like oh okay that's an interesting segment you know i can go in over there and that i can start um and it, it works it works especially in an over penetrated markets uh, like singapore or hong kong for that matter like you know people have insurance and they're always like okay which is the other segment we could go to right because every insurer here is playing a zero sum game right now because you know everyone's my increase in share is your 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 decrease in that says as a pie it doesn't have to be that way so the platform we are looking at is not only just about maintaining a healthy population healthy it's also how to also incentivize a certain population with early diseases like you know prediabetes diabetes hypertension to manage the situation what kind of financial incentives you can create around that as well yeah i'm sure that most people would want to use these things to you know to if they're going to adapt it they they want the the help to get them into a better place but there are always people who are not like that um uh, my wife related a story to me of someone who uh uh, put their Fitbit tracker uh, on on the collar of the dog, so the dog recorded lots of steps <laughs> because they wanted to get the the insurance premium benefit. So, um, how how do you uh, you know safeguard against uh, gaming the system? You're right. I think my my take on that is like if you, if you if you want to game the system somehow, you will be able to to game it uh, itself, right? So it's just I don't think it's as much as different as you saying I don't. You know, lying on your insurance disclaimer whether you smoke or you don't smoke, right? To get that that premium discounts. But what we have also done is that we have built some fraud detection algorithms. Now, why and how we that that whole thing started is because our first uh, port of landing was on the corporate health piece, and in the corporate health programs, when uh, the corporations came, said that okay, the top of the leaderboard, the guys with the podium finish, uh, gets an Apple Watch, and then suddenly, you know. People that are having 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 steps, right? And then we started creating a lot of these algorithms that can pick up, like, okay, this is manufactured data. This data looks like, you know, it's been set on a motion, uh, per perpetual motion machines, right? Because the way we're looking at the data that's coming and generating the system, these are so those are machine learning algorithms that's been picked up, and then you know we immediately are able to filter majority of it or almost all of it. But I think somebody still wants to game it finds the dog that knows how to run about and beats our algorithm you know that's just kudos to them they deserve to get that yeah yeah okay fair enough um and what's the what's the situation at activo in terms of your funding uh where are you with uh you know f your financial runway and, and what's your next sort of uh goal or milestone yeah so um funding very recently i think last november we uh raised 10 million us in series a um it was led by mitsui uh, from japan and also saw uh, participation from um, Enterprise Singapore and also from Adaptive Ventures. So right now, just fairly capitalized. It's not something that I'm very, fairly used to. We've been always been used to like, okay, my runway is like three months, four months. And that has been my life for the last four, four and a half, half years. So it's a different challenge now that, you know, we have the growth capital, um, how to identify uh, the right opportunities and uh, invest the resources accordingly. So that's a, it's a new role that I've, I've, I've found myself in. But it's exciting times. I think uh, right now we're working with uh, 14 large enterprise partners, um, you know, folks like AXA, folks like um, TuneProtect, you know, folks like Marsh McLennan, and folks like Aditya Brilla Health Insurance. These are all our customers. Um, and then we have a fairly strong pipeline. So we're just trying to now move away from being a startup to how do we can have more mature processes such that, you know, we can scale sustain sustainably. 
um, our we have a fairly good runway because you know we have a fairly um, fairly controlled uh, growth and uh, almost very negligible uh, net burn as well since you know we have um, we have revenues that you know we are growing 30% month on month on that piece uh, itself over the last three four months and it you know the, the challenge for me is to maintain that and then do that sustainably itself. Uh, we have now also a big part of the mandate from my board is to also look into um, markets with higher margins. So because we've primarily been in Asia and some of our biggest customers are from just user-based perspectives, it's been from India, Philippines, now Thailand, we are doing fairly well, although we have a good presence in Hong Kong as well. But those are the markets where most of the numbers are coming from. Uh, we are looking at North America and Japan as our part of our expansion plans for the next 18 months. And that's where we're going to spend some of our coins in those markets as well. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, Gaurav, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, I'm a little distressed to hear that uh, my my preference for Burgundy may not be doing me any favors, uh, but I think we'll have to give a little bit back. Uh, so I'm not I'm not quite ready to give that up. But, well, uh, men mental health is a big part of the, the score as well. Yeah, so my mental health is good. So I'm going to up that and, and maybe do a few more hikes uh, and, and so I can maintain my other things. Um, but uh, thank you for coming on and, and telling, uh, talking about uh, what's going on in the world of health tech. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, James. Thanks a lot.